Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. fun to see all them, them kids head off to, to be served and ministered to. I'm grateful for our, our volunteers who serve in children's ministry. For our text this week, we turn to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we, we left off last week kind of at the end of, of chapter 7, uh, but today we're, we're jumping to, to Mark chapter 8 and skipping down a bit to, to verse 27. So if you have your Bibles and want to open to Mark chapter 8, I invite you to do so. Some of us have phones and other devices that point us to Scripture, and so I invite you to turn with us. I'm reading today from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, would those who are able uh, please stand as we read together. Mark, chapter 8, verse 27. Reading today from the Common English Bible. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They told him, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. So he asked them, And what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. (laughs) Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed, and then, after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and, and, scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. So 
So question for you as we begin today, have you ever watched to see how, how leaders are, are formally announced or celebrated or, or like a new member to the team, okay? A lot of times when a new leader or, or a new team member is involved, it's kind of a big deal, right? And, and, and my mind goes to, to draft day, right? Draft day, they, they, on, on major sports teams, they, they throw this big party, they make this big deal, there's this big reveal, uh, they announce who they're going to draft, and they pull out the jersey, already has their name and number on it, and all the fans go crazy, and this is just who we wanted, or they go, oh no, what were we thinking? Um, I think of presidential inaugurations. You've, you've undoubtedly seen a few of those in, in your lifetime. Uh, there's a big deal, and, and people come to Washington, D.C., and they want to see, and they want to be a part of the inauguration. I remember coming as, as a pastor here in January, or January of 2020. I'd been here for a bit, but we, we prayed around these altars. District superintendent came. I was looking up some stats today or this past week about the Queen of England's coronation. Now, she's had that job for a while. Some of you will remember. Uh, June 2nd, 1953. No show of hands. Um, June 2nd, 1953. Her father, the King of England, had died a f- uh, about a year and a half earlier. There were over 8,200 guests at Westminster Abbey. Um, they, they took the long route back to Buckingham Palace, a 7.2-kilometer loop through the city of London to enable as many people to see the newly crowned queen on her way back to Buckingham Palace. People make a big deal when a new leader steps in. It's time for a celebration. It's time for the party and, and the confetti and the fireworks. And people want to celebrate that because it's a season of new hope. It's a season of new energy, a season of what is, what is about to happen for this group. <laughs> With Jesus, in this passage, this just isn't the case. <laughs> this, this passage is, is really the culmination of what Mark was working toward in, in, in his gospel. And in fact, the, the, the story of Jesus kind of builds in the gospel of Mark up to this point. Particularly, these, these first three verses is, are, are the fulcrum of the gospel, that, that Jesus was, was beginning to emerge as this, as this leader and this teacher who did amazing things in the countryside. Uh, and, and he comes to this point, and Peter says, you are the Christ. And they leave this passage, and they're heading down towards Jerusalem. The, the, there's, the, they're, they're heading towards Jerusalem and the, and the coming fate of who Jesus Christ was and what would happen. Later in chapter 8, there's a prediction of Jesus' death. Again in chapter 9, a prediction of his death. Again in chapter 10, a prediction of the death of Christ. And in chapter 11, we have the entrance into Jerusalem. This is the point. This is the center point of the Gospel of Mark. At Caesarea Philippi, where Peter says... I know who you are. I've read the scriptures enough. I understand what this is about. You are the Christ, the Messiah. And yet, while this is such a big moment for Christ and, and for, the, for the disciples, um, 
And Jesus had set it up. He had kind of done a little focus group on who people are, what are people saying about me, he says. Uh, And uh, what's the word on the street? Some say John the Baptist somehow returned, which is interesting because John the Baptist had baptized him, so I'm not sure about that one. Um, Some had said Elijah, the prophet Elijah, had returned. One of the prophets. He had to be important. He had to be significant. What are the stories that led up to chapter 8? Just a couple chapters earlier, he had fed the 5,000 men in chapter 6. He had fed 4,000 earlier in chapter 8. Healings and exorcisms, bringing people back from the dead. This was no ordinary person. This was no ordinary rabbi or teacher. And this is the watershed moment. This is the big reveal for the disciples, for the ones who had followed Jesus in his ministry. And it's time. It's time for coronation. It's time to be established as the leader. It's time. Invite the guests. Let's go on a 7.2 kilometer parade so everybody can see. Strike up the band and set off the fireworks. Our time has come for the Christ has been revealed. There were, there were decades and decades and, and centuries and centuries of waiting in the Jewish community for this day, for this moment. <laughs> and what does Jesus do? Be quiet. Don't tell anyone. But whatever you do, he didn't say you've answered wisely, but he said, let's... Let's keep a lid on this. Stay quiet. <laughs> well, this isn't right. This isn't the right thing to do. This isn't how you celebrate being Messiah. This isn't how you announce the coming of a leader. And so Peter goes on and, and, and tells, tells Jesus, yeah, you got this wrong. We're doing this the wrong way. This isn't how we, how we do it. It was interesting to me in in my study uh, to have my attention kind of diverted back to the passage immediately prior to this passage. And I know some of you open your Bibles, and I and, and I know some of you read read around kind of the context of of the story, and that's super important. I love that the healing story, though, just before this passage, is one of the strangest and most awkward healing stories of Jesus's ministry. Why? Well, Jesus has to try twice to heal a guy. He, he, he gets it wrong the first time. He messes up, apparently. Um, why, why would Jesus do that? It says that Jesus went and served this guy and, and, and tried to heal him. Tried to heal the blind man. And he says, well, I can see, but people are walking around and they look like trees. They look like trees. Why would Jesus mess up the first time? Why would, why, why, why would he take two times to heal this man? There's a couple uh, opinions on there, but the most popular is this. This is representative of the disciples. The understanding of that parable is that the, the man who was healed and saw people who looked like trees were representative of the disciples. And, and the opening of their eyes, that, that in this following episode, the disciples' eyes would be opened, but only partially. Only to a degree. They're open to the Messiahship of Christ, but, but not really open to what that meant. And the implications of what it meant 
to be the Messiah that God had sent. I see the, the gospel writer understanding three decades later, right? The, the gospel writer wasn't writing simultaneous to all this happening, but, but decades later. And, and I see him writing that the evidence was there, that they could have gotten it, maybe even should have understood. But they didn't. They missed it. They saw like people walking around like trees. And what is... What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say immediately after saying, okay, don't say anything to anyone. Keep a lid on it. What does Jesus begin to do? Well, first he says, don't tell anybody. But second, he says, he, he begins to help the disciples reimagine what Messiahship is really all about. We make a big deal about this today. People thought the Messiah was, was coming to oust the Romans, Right? The getting back to the good old days when Israel had their own king, when they had their own nation, when they, they had autonomy to themselves, and they were their own country. We will have control, we'll have power, we'll finally have freedom to live the way that we want to and worship the way that we want to. And Messiah was the one that was going to come and restore things to the way to the way. They should have been. That's what Messiah will do. That was their understanding of Messiah. I was reading Brower again this week, and, and he kind of broadens this understanding a little bit for me. Um, that sure, yes, there was this idea, this picture of a militaristic Messiah, the one who would come and kick out the Romans. That motif was present and, and probably popular because <laughs> that's what people wanted. People wanted that in the nation of Israel. But there were other teachings present as well, that Messiah would be the one to call the just by name, the one that would place his spirit on the poor, the one that would renew the strength of the faithful, free the prisoner, give sight to the blind, and straighten the twisted. That Messiah teachings were not all this militaristic uh, vision of, of kicking out the Romans, and yet for some reason, they seemed to be the most popular <laughs> the prevailing idea of what Messiah would do and who Messiah would be. Certainly that was Peter's idea. Certainly Peter feels compelled to give Jesus a quick lesson. Like, Jesus, let me help you understand. That's not what, that's what, what Messiahs do. That's not how they act. Yes, you are the Messiah, but, but let me help you understand what was expected, what he expected. And, and he wasn't even ashamed to say, let's, let's strive for this. Let's go after this. This would be a good thing. This would be a good result. <laughs> the problem, Jesus ends up calling him Satan. <laughs> he becomes, for Jesus, the adversary, the distractor, the temptation, the, the, the journey away from the intentions that he had as the Messiah, as the Christ, calling his whole line of reasoning, did you hear it? Human thoughts, not the thoughts of God. <laughs> and as easy as it is to camp out on, oh, Peter and the disciples, they just mess up all the time. They, they, they just mess it up all the time, right? It's easy to stand on the sidelines and think, man, 
Those disciples, they just screwed up all the time. I think it happens all too easily these days as well. We think if we just had power, if we just had control, if we could just pass the right laws and elect the right people, if we could humble ourselves and pray, then God will heal our land. Do you remember that verse from Second Chronicles 7? It's a fun one to claim and to memorize and to declare. But I've found in my own sense, in my own journey, the temptation to view Messiah just like Peter did. But Peter wanted control and power. He understood what Christ was supposed to do. He understood the mission of Messiah was to kick out those other guys so that Israel could once again be in control. This is why politicized issues become so divisive, because power is so alluring. But Jesus leaves no question that his quest for power and a nation-state solution was of no interest to him. This was the moment. Because if Jesus wanted to, this was the moment. He had been declared Messiah. He had been, that information had come to light and the people who had followed him could stand and say, our Messiah has come. And Jesus says, that's not how Messiahs work. That's not how we roll. That's not what we do. It was of no interest then and it's of no interest now. How do I know that? Why do I believe that? Because right after, he begins to redefine Messiahship. Verses 31 through 33, he goes on and begins to, de- to redefine, to help, help his disciples understand what Messiahs do. And then as he closes out, He goes on and begins to redefine what following the Messiah looks like. And he doesn't say, let's go after power. Let's let's rally the troops. Let's, Let's build an army. Let's go get the right people in power so we can be in charge and kick out Rome. But what does he do? He talks about surrendering power. He says, say no to yourselves. He says, pick up your cross. Cross was not a shiny little instrument that they hung on necklaces back in the day. The cross was an execution device. Pick up your cross and follow me. This is what it looks like to follow Messiah. This is what it looks like to be one of the people convinced the Messiah comes to change the world. This is what it looks like to become new. Why would people gain the whole world? What does it look like to gain the whole world? What does it look like to to reach that pinnacle, to reach that status? It's about power, 
and it's about control. Why would people do that but lose their very lives, Jesus says? Because it's so easy to do. It's so tempting, so alluring. And I think, I think for me, at times, it has been what good looks like. What good looks like if we can just control enough, if we can just have enough influence. Christ says, that's not what being Messiah, that's not what my life, that's not what my ministry is about. I think this whole final section, church, is our call. It's our call. If you want to become who Christ wants you to be, if you are on this journey of becoming new, of becoming who Christ intends you to be, then this final section of Scripture is for for us today. All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If you want to participate in this transformative work that Christ has for you and for me, this is our, our marching orders. I think sometimes we thought marching orders were going to be rally the troops, figure out what to do, go attack, go kick out the Romans, for we're going to get our nation back. I think Messiah says, our call is to walk faithfully each day, to love the person beside us, to reach out to our neighbors, to pick up our cross daily, and to follow after Christ, to live as Christ did. That is how we follow Messiah. I'm going to invite the praise team today to come on up. As we close out in song, I, I'm, I'm just compelled today. This, this seems a, a clear call to grounding our relationship with Christ in what Christ calls us to do. I, I believe there are people who, who struggle with the church today, who struggle with the church today because uh, sometimes our focus has been has looked a lot like Peter's focus. Has looked a lot like, Messiah, you're here. Let's go. This is our time. What can we do? What can we accomplish? I think the accomplishments that Christ calls us to have a lot to do with the instructions that he gave us. Say no to yourselves. Pick up your cross and follow me. I don't want to get caught up in all the things that Jesus warned us about. By turning away from that picture of Messiah, that picture of Messiah that says, grab control, be in charge. Today I simply want to ask, who do you say Jesus is? If our answer, like Peter, is he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the one 
who God sent, then we know our response. We know what Christ has called us to. May we have the power and the discipline to say to ourselves, no. And the discipline to pick up our cross daily and to follow after Christ. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord God, thank you for today. May you examine me today. For I've been guilty of this. This picture of who you are, this picture of wanting to grab control in all the places that I could. I think for good motivations, for good reasons. And yet the commitment of my heart has not been solidly and focused, focusedly fixed upon your instructions for me. Lord, we don't say no to ourselves as self-abasement, as, as torturing ourselves or not providing the, the care that we need for ourselves, but we say no to our agenda. We say no to the things that are not of you. Help us this week. Help us today pick up our cross and to follow after you, to chase after you and always say, and in all we do, I pray in Christ's name. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.